Mark Allen isn't an ex-player and he isn't an ex-coach. He's not even an ex-club official. What he is is a retired golf professional and a current cancer patient. And he has a jolting message for all of us. Welcome, Mark. G'day, Mike. Welcome, Tricia. Hello. How are you feeling, Marco? I'm feeling a little bit of weight. You've lost a bit of weight. <laughs> I've lost some weight. I can't yeah. even recognise myself in the mirror these days, but I'm getting better every day, so that's uh, the good part. How many kegs have fallen off? Ten. You noticed the change, Tricia. I mean, when his voice has changed too, hasn't it? Yes, I can hear it in his voice and the weight, definitely, and um, just his general well-being. And this second operation has really been a big operation. Yeah. Been an horrendous last six months for you both, hasn't it? Yes. Crazy. I remember the, the, the chat I had with you just before Christmas. I said, Marco, I've just heard this a suggestion that your health's not as good as it might be, and you told me. You know, mm. I think from memory you said you had stage four bowel cancer. Is that right? That is right. That was right. And I was told that I was stage four feeling as well as I've ever felt in my life. Um, I was just starting to practice a bit. I turned 50 not long ago, and I was going to you know, take some lunch money um, <laughs> on these little seniors tournaments that were around. And I started going to the gym and I started practicing my golf again and I really was feeling fantastic. But um, I was, when I was going to the toilet, no one likes to talk about this, Mike, but when I was going to the toilet, I'd wipe my mum and there would be some bright red blood on that paper. And six months before last December, I went to my GP and she had a good look and investigation and... Um, she told me it was a hemorrhoid. And, she, and by the way, she may well have been correct. It may well have been a hemorrhoid. And I got some hemorrhoid cream and it fixed the problem. I wasn't bleeding. Two months later, I started bleeding again, but I had a whole lot of hemorrhoid cream left in my, in my cupboard. So I put it on again and it was gone. And at the end of radio last year, I was in my last week before our holidays. And I was driving into work and I heard a news report on Macquarie News saying that Australia was number two behind Denmark for fixing bowel cancer. Mm. So I thought, I'll tell you what, I'd better make an appointment and go back and see her and tell her that it's still bleeding. So I made a phone call um, on the way to work and got the booking. We went in there the next day and she said, listen, maybe it's time to get a colonoscopy. Um, and because it was at Christmas time, uh, we had to book it in and I booked it in on the 31st of January. It was like a nine week wait. And um, I was kind of happily wait nine weeks because, you know, I'd always got my blood tests every year and they'd been clear for the last four or five years, absolutely clear. Nothing was wrong. So I, I, I didn't think it was going to be cancer. The colonoscopy's set for the end of January. Yeah. Fortuitously, you crossed paths with a doctor mate of yours at Kingston Heath. That's right, Dr Jeffrey Wells, who owns Snitty Kitty. And I saw him over there and I know Snitty Kitty had been running pretty well and I thought I'd better go and ask him when Snitty Kitty's running around. So I, I, he told me and I said, hey, um, by the way, I'm doing this. And I told him about the symptoms and I told him about everything else and he said, do you ever see blood in the water? And I said, look, every once in a while, but very rarely. And he goes, oh, don't worry about getting it on the 31st of January. Let's get this done next week. So he made a few phone calls to his doctors his friends and I had an appointment for, with uh, Professor Ian Jones, who's one of the number, probably the number one. Um, we went in there on the Monday. I told him what was going on. He said, well, you're not leaving this office without a colonoscopy this Thursday. Um, he said, look, on the way out, can you get some blood tests? One will be for bowel cancer. So Thursday walks around. I'm in the fetal position on 
the gurney, all set to go, nervous as hell, I'd never been under or anything. And I said, hey, doc, how did that blood test go for bowel cancer? He said, no, nah, clear as a bell. Really? He said, listen, you just go to sleep, we'll probably get rid of a couple of polyps and you'll be on your way. Gee. And then I woke up and he said, I could see it in his face. He didn't want to tell me. And he said, we found one, mate, and it looks likely to me. And that was it. The so journey found began. one means a tumour? A tumour, yeah. yeah. They found a tumour and a polyp. And then the very next week I was in for a CET, uh, PET scan, CET scan and some other scan. And then when they did the full body scan, I got a phone call saying they found a spot in my lung. Now, honestly. So that's the secondary. Yeah, that was the secondary. So I went from when they did the CT, uh, CT scan, um, it had migrated through the bowel. So I went from being as healthy as healthy to stage three. And two days later after the PET scan, when they found the spot in my lung, the fear was that that was bowel cancer. And I think on the Monday they put something down my, down my throat and they chopped a bit off and then we got a phone call saying, yeah, you've got bowel cancer in your lung as well. So is, is it bowel cancer in your lung? Is it yeah. the same primary cancer that yeah, spread to the happens. lung? Yeah, so I didn't know this either. So if, it, if the cancer migrates through wherever it is at stage three, and then once it starts to spread through your body, that's when there's stage four. And I knew there was no stage five, so yeah. we were in a bit of trouble. Gee. And so since you've had 18% of a lung removed. Yeah, that's right. And a separate operation and then 70% of your bowel, is that right? That's right, my rectum. 70% wow. of my rectum. So the doctors are geniuses. They reckoned if it was any, bit, any lower in my rectum, then I would have had this little bag that I've got at the moment, mm. would have had that for the rest of my life. So when I look at the whole situation, if that doctor, Dr. Jeffrey Wells, if he was playing uh, in the morning instead of the afternoon that day, then I would have happily waited to the 31st of January. But now, you know, the doctors tell me in the rectum it moves very slow, cancer, but in the lungs it moves very fast. And when they took it out, they put it under and somehow, like the luck is ridiculous, it hadn't got into my lymph nodes um, in my lungs. So that was a miracle. Tricia, when you look back on it, I'm sure you would say, I can't believe it, but are there any things along the way that you thought perhaps we should have done this or we may have done this differently? Um, now, being in this situation, I think I would have said to Mark as soon as he said there was anything unusual like the bleeding, let's just go and get a second opinion. I don't, hemorrhoid cream, that's not going to cut it. Mm. Let's go and get a second opinion. Let's get you booked in for a colonoscopy. Let's mm. do some more um, investigation. Definitely. Um, but he was 49, wasn't he? He was just shy yeah. of getting that bowel test in, in, in the, the mail. mail. In the mail. It arrived yeah. and it broke my heart because it was... So it did arrive after your 50th yes. birthday. Yeah. yeah. And would you have done it? Yes. Yeah, I would have. You would have? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty good like that. You know, like ever since we had the kids and we had a mortgage and everything like that, then there's a responsibility for all fellas, yeah. if you're the breadwinner, yes. to look after yourself. So... This is what I was doing. I was getting blood tests every year, but the blood tests, and like they tell me now that the bowel cancer, because it does move slow in the rectum, it might have been there for three and a half, four years. Jeez. So all these blood tests that I'm having along the way, they all came up clear. So I really, I just didn't feel, like I didn't feel sick. All the blood tests were saying you don't have cancer. The bowel test, the bowel, the bowel cancer blood test that I took right before they found it came up clear. So it's just... Craziness. 
Uh, from the outside, we have a bit of tweet exchange, as you yes. probably know, mm-hmm. but his, his attitude's been amazing to me. I haven't noticed one time in his tweets or his conversation where he's not anything but positive. Uh, no, he's a very positive person. He works with a very positive guy, David Schwartz, mm. um, and he's been great like that because it helps keep our family unit on track because mm. um, we've got two young children and we've just got to stay cool, calm about the whole situation. So when the dialogue swings to this, do the kids ask about Dad or do they say to you they want more we information? Didn't tell them. You did not tell them? Not we didn't to tell begin them. with. No. The doctors told me. I, I do what the doctors tell me. This, this crew that they put together, they said, don't tell them. Just get on with it and just tell them. We just told them I had a lump removed. We didn't say it was cancer. But then, we like, in the end, we had to tell them. But for the first... Because you did a story with John Ralph in the Herald Sun. Yeah. Yes. So when that was happening, we had to tell the kids. Yeah. So we didn't tell them at all. We didn't tell our friends. So only our really close friends, we let them know, but, you know, the school or anything. And that was fantastic because now that people know um, and now that the graph's moving in the right direction, I can cop it all. But when we were scared at the start and when we were told we were um, stage, stage four. four, if we had the people calling, worrying, yes. that would have dragged us down. Were you working with the knowledge that you had this problem? Yeah, we worked right through the... Well, once once we got that taken out, then it was time to put some radiation and some chemotherapy into what was in my rectum. Um, that had great results, but that was six weeks' worth of radiation and chemo. Work was fantastic. Um, it's not the sort of chemo you get where your hair falls out, but it's the chemo that um, complements the radiation. So... That was going, that was debilitating, but again, you know, you're going in, you're having a bit of fun on radio and you get through. I, I, I miss some days, but work were great about it. Your judgment hasn't been affected. You still pick the last two major winners. Yeah, <laughs> that's easy. Now, you have, you've got more radiation and a chemo ahead of you? Yeah, that's right. I've got some chemo to go. Um, and that's hopefully to knock it all out. So, look, theoretically at the moment, um, there's no chemo bowel cancer up here. And there's no more cancer in my rectum. In fact, you know, I've only got 30% left. So theoretically, I'm cancer-free. But because it did spread through my body, they want that chemo just to knock on the head. You know, if there's anything hanging around, let's uh, play safe. Let's use a two-iron off the tee. Reassurance. <laughs> play a little bit safe here <laughs> and make sure we get it all. But it savages your dignity too, doesn't it? I mean, you're, you've got a colostomy bag at the moment. Yeah. Is that, is that uh, how long are you expected to have that for? Well, I'd take it off tomorrow if I could. That's, yeah. that's not much fun. And, and I say that knowing that there are people out there who have to wear one for the rest of their lives and those people, my God, good luck. You know, it's, it's not the nicest thing. But um, that's, uh, you know, getting up at 3 o'clock in the morning and emptying that out, mm. that's no good. Mm. That's no good at all. And I guess, you know, the real message is that 100 in this country, 103 people, die a week of bowel cancer. Is that right? 103 people a week in this country die of bowel cancer. Now, you know, I know friends in America, once they get to 50, if they've got a good job, um, they get a colonoscopy. They get it done. And, you know, from my experience, if there is any doubt whatsoever, and this is David Schwartz talking, if there's any doubt, get your bum checked out. Mm. But go and get a colonoscopy done. What about the downtimes at home, Tricia, when it's just the two of you and the realisation that there's a serious disease that's bugging your husband. I mean, just how difficult has that been? Uh, it's definitely been a, 
a roller coaster ride of emotions, but Mark's always been very level-headed. Um, he's probably had one or two moments where he's gone, oh, my God, here we are in this situation. Teary twice. We were Teary, tw- yeah. Teary twice. And, and then, then... It was the first visit after each operation. Yeah. So I would just look at it and go, what am I doing here? Mm. Yeah. It didn't make sense. And you wake up and you can hardly breathe because... From part that was of from your, the lungs. Yes, yeah. Yeah. and it's quite scary to then all of a sudden be in this situation. Um, and Mark has been remarkable how he's handled it. Still gone to work. Um, he's just had a really good attitude and it's really helped my family and the kids. He knows that um, mm. there's a whole uh, family here that rely on him and he leads the way for us. Can I say too that Trisha's been unreal. I mean, mm. it's not just me. Trisha's been amazing. You know, you watch all these, you know, people give you advice along the way. You go watch, what's that one they told me to watch? Heal? heal? Oh, yes, heal. heal. So I watched Heal on Netflix, which is, you know, people trying to come back from cancer. And there's lots of things in Heal. But the one thing that I noticed was, you know, you just got to go and do some things that you really like doing. So selfishly, I would just go out and hit a few golf balls or go and hit a few putts or, or just do whatever mm. selfishly for me because that was my... Happy place, you know, I'd get there and just hit a few balls, hit a few wedges. Sometimes after dinner I'd just go down and hit some golf balls while I could and leave Trish with the kids and the house and everything else. So Trish gave me that time, which was fantastic, time that, you know, I didn't always get to myself. So Trish has been unbelievable as well. Trish has been amazing. The one thing I was... Lots of things about your story that are I think they're educational and certainly intriguing. One I was fascinated by when you... And just to try to put myself in your seat, you're in the car, you're coming home from a bad diagnosis and you're thinking of funeral songs. Do you remember that? Yeah, I do. And that's a real... Well, Trisha, were you with him then? No. 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 That's, a, that's real selfish behaviour there. Thinking well, hardly. Stuff. Well, it is because, you know, then, then not long after, you start thinking about, well, what's Trish going to do? Mm. You know, what are the kids going to do? Because I planned on opening lots of doors for my kids and my family. Yeah. On the way through, yeah. and I rely on Mark um, with his. Like I work as well, but my wage def- definitely does not match Mark's. Um, we're about to have two kids going to secondary school. Um, we've got a big mortgage, like mm. most families do these days. Mm. So it's quite scary. And then you, you remember the horror story. You know, everyone's got a friend or knows somebody in the family. They say he was diagnosed with cancer. He was gone two months later. Yeah. I'm driving along going. Is that me or what is going on? What is actually going to happen to me here? What would you say to men 50 plus, and you're now in that bracket sadly, yeah. um, about, about awareness about their health and about things like the home kit that gets sent to all people who are 50 plus? I think the home kit comes too late. Like my doctors tell me that there are people who are 40 and 25 and all this kind of stuff. If your family's got a history in bowel cancer, I'll tell you this, I won't say his name, but it was a journal at your old newspaper, The Herald Sun, and he called me once he read the article and he told me that his family has a history in bowel cancer, that he was bleeding when he was wiping his mum, he was in his 30s and he hadn't been checked out. Mm-hmm. I said, what are you doing, son? Mm-hmm. I mean, just go and get this colonoscopy done. He called me two weeks later, he had it done and it was all clear. Yeah. I mean, that's, you've just got to... Not ignore it if you're a bloke. You've walked the block this morning. How do you feel? Tired. Yeah. But uh, as you'd know, because you've had a big operation as well lately with the heart, that 
it is small steps. And yep. you know, at the start of last week, I could walk 100 metres down and I was cooked. I actually had to have a rest and then came back up the street. It was only a small hill <laughs> too. I was buggered, but um, uh, right around the block this morning and hopefully I'll be able to do that again this afternoon. Can you see his mood change, Tricia? Become more positive? Uh, or, or may, I'll rephrase. Can you see him healthier by the day? Yes, but uh, it's very small steps. Um, I think this time around, because he had the lung operation and then only a few months later he's had this massive bowel operation, that it's really taken a toll on him. Um, his liver was a little bit fried from the antibiotics. Yes. They didn't really gel too well together. So every day there's a little bit of improvement, but not as quickly as the last operation. I can really see that it's, it's taken a toll, but he'll get there for sure. Yeah. Um, every day he's eating more um, and... I need some unhealthy stuff. <laughs> Everyone's, dropping off this. A burger. Everyone's dropping off the healthy food. I need some unhealthy stuff. But the funny, you look healthier to me now than when I walked in an hour ago. That, you know, that bright smile that you've got and the Brazilian good looks that you, yeah. you, you had. Yeah, <laughs> <Has>. <laughs> yeah uh, so, so when will you get to the footy? Have you got, is that part of your plans? Uh, get back to the footy, yeah. And get back to going. Uh, at some stage, yeah, yeah. at some stage. Um, not for a while. Mm. Uh, it's just hard, hard enough getting into a car. But look, I'd love to be back at the end of the, end of the year, hopefully finals. Yeah. That'd be great. What about golf? Has the doctor said anything to you about when you might be able to, even, you know, obviously yeah. in a cart for a while, but that you'd be able to get out on the course? Yeah, well, that's, that's been interesting because um, I'm actually in a cart for a long time because of now I can't just walk and if I needed to go to a number two, Mike, I've yep. got to go pretty quick. So I think I'm in a cart for a long time. Mm. Um, uh, probably going back and just hitting a few balls or that won't happen. Maybe a few putts down the track I will at some stage, but I'm miles away. From doing something like do you, that. Do you ever feel, like so when you're alone in bed or you just with your own thoughts, do you ever feel, do you feel cheated or do you just feel, well, um, this happens to people? No, I, no, I don't feel cheated. I would have felt cheated if I waited for that colonoscopy. Instead, I feel unbelievably lucky. Really? Unbelievably lucky, yeah. honestly. Do you, Trish? I feel a little bit cheated, but yeah. <laughs> last positive attitude brings me up to his um, level of just you know, getting on with the job yeah. and just being grateful for everything that went right. Um, very grateful for the right team of, like, mm. five doctors that yep. we've got on Mark's team. Do you, do you remember what your thoughts were before you went under for the operation for, to remove three-quarters of your bowel? You, did you have any particular thoughts or were you just trying to be positive? No, I was, I was concerned. Um, there's a whole list of things that the doctor make you, that the surgeons make you aware of before you go under, and one of them is mortality rates. Mm. <laughs> not everyone gets, not everyone comes up, not everyone wakes up. So there was a lot of those sorts of thoughts. Um, you know, just there was there was there's the, the suture that they use. So when they cut your rectum and then they get rid of thirty centimeters worth of your colon, they've got to join you up, and the suture or the staple that they use. Uh, one in 200 of those don't work. Gee. And if it doesn't work, then I've got this little friend for the rest of my life. So that was a concern. I didn't want to be the one in the 200.
let's be a bit more positive. Yeah. <laughs> that golf career of yours. Yeah. You know, when I do these so- shows, yes. we do research. You um, should do more of our sports, Mike. You should. We, we so need you. You had one PGA Tour event, correct? Uh, a British, British Open. Open. Yeah, British Open. Yeah. Yes, I, I led the qualifying that week. Yeah. How'd you go? Oh, I played terribly. Did you? Yeah. Well, look, I where where was it? It was at Carnoustie. It was the year that uh, uh, John, uh, uh, the little Frenchman, went crazy. John Vanderveld went yeah. crazy and, and lost the tournament. But well, from uh, seven up, wasn't he? He was three, yeah, three shot lead going down the last. Yeah. But I remember um, I, I got there because I played well in a, in a West Australian Open and I went over there to qualify. I always used to like qualifying for the Open. And I shot 69-69 and led qualifying with two other guys, a bloke called Luke Donald. Mm-hmm. Uh, went on to be number one player in the world, another bloke called Michael Campbell, who ended up winning a US Open. Um, I lived with those guys, but I knew I was cooked. But because I hadn't done anything for a long time, three radio stations gave me a call. Mine was KB when he was back working at 927. Mm. Pig Jimmy and Ruboy called. And by the time Ross Stevenson and Dean Banks called me... On 3AW? Yeah, I had the hang of this radio stuff completely. And I told them a couple of stories that was happening in the week and they loved it. And they said, listen, could you be our correspondent for the week? And I said, absolutely, I'm going to miss this cut. Who cares? Let's go. And uh, I shot 80, 85 or something like that. But it was the toughest golf course of all, like in history. It was mm. ridiculous. I think eight under, eight over got into the playoff. Mm. That's how hard the course was. Your scores in the British Open were 80 and 86. Ugh. You said you didn't remember. Oh, uh, I don't like talking about it. I, tell, I remember I beat Sergio Garcia and Seve Bellasteros that week. The rough was this high. Huh? It was crazy. It was a crazy week. Some of the fairways in the practice rounds were six and seven and maybe eight steps wide in the really? layup areas on the par yeah. fives. It was the most ridiculous course setup the world had ever seen at that now, stage. Now, you mentioned Michael Campbell. Yeah. You were leading the uh, New Zealand Open. Yeah. Playing round three? Yes. With the local Michael Campbell? Yeah, that's right. What happened then? Well, I hadn't played well for a long time. I had one really good summer in 92, 93, and then I decided to change my swing and it didn't work out. I'm just getting the hang of those swing changes now, to tell you the truth. But uh, a couple of years down the track, I shot 64 in the first round of the New Zealand Open and 69 was a better score and I went from leading by two to leading by four. And I'm playing with Michael Campbell, who was a hero in New Zealand. And I get on the first tee the next day and I was ready to go. I was going to win this thing. I was playing great. I was hitting the ball well. I was putting well. I was going to win and change my life. Anyway, um, Michael Campbell gets on the tee and they went through the list of stuff that he'd done and rounds of, you know, I think it was 69, 70 or something. From New Zealand, Michael Campbell, crowd goes crazy and he just goes straight down the middle. And I'm next. And you know what you do, you watch on TV, you're doing your practice swings and I'm visualising this nailed three, three wood right down the middle of the fairway with a little draw. And he's going through, well, it's TV time too now, so they had this guy on the first tee who was basically from television, didn't do much golf, clearly. But he said, from Melbourne, Victoria, with rounds of 64, 69, He's never led a tournament at this point before. Let's see if he can hold it together. Mark Allen. And I looked over at Michael Campbell and he had his hands in his face and that visualised three wood that ripped down the middle and scared the hell out of him. 
That disappeared and I had some popcorn rotten shot out to the right. <laughs> shot 76 and that was it. That was a tournament that broke my heart. You would have had lots and lots of messages in the last few months. Yep. Um, any that have really touched your heart? Um, yeah, all of them. You know, stacks of them. Yeah, you were calling out of the blue. was a ripper. Um, there's a guy called Mark Fine who you sent yep. me a message at it made me tear up. Really? Yeah, he said something along the lines of, in, in your life of golf, you've hit the longest drive right down the middle, but you've just found yourself in a divot. You know, mm. I'm sure you'll get out of this one. Not a bad metaphor, is it? Yeah, that, yeah. One, that one made me think about, you know, just the ongoing support from Ox and people I used to work with, you know, at another radio station. You know, all these people just chimed in with their thoughts and, you know, I'm sure it happens to everybody, but... Those things really do help. Tricia, locally, you know, you're in a, you, the kids are at school. Yes. You've been here for a while. Did, when, how do you differentiate between people who want to help but sometimes you just don't, you just need your own privacy? Some people got so emotional over it and it, and it really didn't help us. Mm. Um, but I've got a great, we, our kids go to a great school. We've got great friends there. Mm. They've been so supportive, um, helping us, just staying positive not drowning us in too much emotion, mm -hmm. um, just getting us up on our feet. And yes, look, we'll take the kids to school for you. We'll drop off a dinner for you. If you want someone to chat to you, just call me. Um, just a really good attitude, I think. What was your, what's been your darkest moment? Uh, gee, it took a while because at first when I heard the news, I, I just didn't even want to believe it. It was like, no, mm. this isn't happening to us. It just felt surreal. Um, and then there came a point where you sort of, I guess, face it and you go, oh, my God, this could really happen. Uh, but then at every step we sort of, um, you have to brush that aside and you have to really look at what and focus on what you can do right, um, how you're going to, you know, confront this. Um, cancer can be sort of like uh, we've come a long way in um, dealing with cancer and the chemo and the radiation and everything we've got. So I tried to stay focused on how we're going to get back on track. But, yeah, there, were, there was a moment where I did, where I had a cry. Mm. And, look, when Mark gets his um, stoma bag removed, that is probably when I'll cry again because it's been two really crazy years with um, the year before with um, Mark's radio job. Uh, yep. And then... Again, at the end of this year, we had a crazy year and it's like, oh, my God. Two you know, ripper Christmases. Yeah. yeah. Just, and, the, and I've got to say, like, even coming up to this Christmas, it's sort of like, oh, what's going to happen this year to us, you know? Is well, I do remember some... that, that period you're talking about, the SEN situation when you and Ox were, um, were chopped at SEN. That was just before Christmas, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Now, yes. I spoke to you. Now, you were angry then. Yeah, well, that took our breath away, mate. Yeah. No, we were angry because they went to the trouble of saying, hey, come on, let's organise next year. So. Yeah. Four weeks' worth of negotiation. I went up by about this much. <laughs> I'll, I'll say this. The ox came down $100,000. Really? Because he went from breakfast to afternoon. Yep. So he went down 100000 bucks for that show. So we went through all that negotiation, all good as gold, and then Bang. You know, they Go deceived on. us. They said we had jobs, and then they said, you don't have jobs. Mm. And then... Um, Macquarie came along, and they've just been so they've wonderful. Been they've been unbelievable. Yeah. The, they've been just such a great support. They've not put any pressure on Mark. They've just been nothing but professional, um, caring uh, yeah. sort of company. 
you know, we're mates, but I'm professionally just th- th- really in awe of the fact that you've been prepared to share your story and we all wish you the best from here on. Mike, thanks for coming on. Thanks, thanks so much. Trish. Appreciate it. This has been a Fox Sports production.